Part 1 A Dozen White Roses Ten Years Later Carter Devereaux held the sword and worked on focus, which was crucial in the Chen style of Tai Chi Xuan, and even more so in the use of weapons. His master had finally allowed him, after years of studying the non-weapon styles, to take up the art known as the Way of the Sword. For thirty minutes, he practiced the Jian, thrusting sword, position. There were at least forty-nine positions to learn with this weapon, and he intended to come to terms with them all. He visited his master's training hall, the Center of Harmonious Gratitude, located over a Chinese restaurant in downtown Boston, twice a week. It was small, just under a thousand feet, but Master Hong took very few students. Carter would spend hours holding the postures Master Hong imparted to him despite the nauseating odor of a variety of unfamiliar foods cooking below and whiffing up through the floor. He dared not disrespect his master by showing his aversion to the smell, as it was Master Hong's primary income. He put the sword down and went back to the stances of the weaponless style. Master Hong stressed the fact that no one ever completely mastered a martial art. They only became less cumbersome at it. Carter had progressed better than most. His dedication was legendary among Master Hong's students. Carter made his first appearance at the center eight years ago, shortly after his 27th birthday. He had wanted to pursue an oriental martial art ever since watching an old Bruce Lee movie on late-night television when he was a kid. Someone told him about the old Chinese man who taught a very traditional form of Tai Chi Chuan, or Tai Chi, as most Westerners call it which roughly translates into the Supreme Ultimate Fist. The style was thought to have originated with Buddhist monks who needed a method of protection while they traveled across the ancient Chinese empire. It was considered a soft martial arts style, since the practice reacted to violence as opposed to initiating it. Master Hong had an extraordinary philosophy regarding whom he would teach. He felt non-Chinese should not be allowed to learn the secrets of the Tai Chi style he taught, Therefore, first, when prospective students turned up, he would ignore them, and they tended not to come back. Second, should they come back, he would show them some pain. They would leave humiliated and not show up again. Finally, if they returned for the third time, he would teach them, since it meant they must have been Chinese in an earlier life and deserved to be taught. Carter's first day at the center, not knowing the old man's philosophy, was the most difficult. He found himself ignored, forced to sit on the sidelines and observe, not knowing what was going on. The second appearance, Master Hong unleashed every student on him until he had engaged each one in combat. He'd barely managed to climb the stairs to his condominium afterward, but he had no intention of giving up. The third time he'd arrived at the center, Master Hong smiled and started to teach him the basics. Carter concluded his morning practice with a set of deep breathing exercises. For him, Tai Chi was a daily ritual he had not neglected since the day he started eight years ago. He showered, had a light breakfast, packed his briefcase, and made his way to his office on the university campus. When he arrived at his desk, it was almost eight. He prided himself on arriving before clerical staff and working well past office hours. His dedication had served him well over the years and awarded him a tenured professorship of archaeology at the young age of twenty-five. Having an opulent grandfather whose money funded several of the tall buildings on the campus grounds didn't hurt either. Nonetheless, Carter achieved his academic and financial success through sheer brilliance, hard work, 
and enthusiasm for his subject. His grandfather's prosperity meant he never had to worry about funds while studying. While other students were stuck in pointless internship positions over the summer breaks, Carter could spend his on archaeological digs in the Middle East, South America, and undersea exploration. To those who called him a lucky man, he always imparted a bit of wisdom learned from his grandfather. Luckily, good fortune is often found in partnership with conscientiousness. He turned his attention to the box on his desk, which had intrigued him since its arrival an hour earlier, taking his time to examine it. When the shipping department brought it to him, they saved the packaging so he could see where it had originated. The return address was in Spanish and listed Peru as its point of origin. The rest of the return address was smeared and hard to read, causing Carter to surmise the sender didn't want the location known.